0: It's a, it's a tough book it's kind of wedged in there while you're finding it, I want to take a moment to dismiss our children who are fourth grade and under along with our leaders to head upstairs for kids' crew this morning we're going to have our kids' crew worship time for them and they're going to be excited for that. Let me also just say that uh, we've we've just gotten back from camp from Falls Creek this week a uh, group of 100 plus that went with us to Falls Creek and it was a fantastic week. God moved in a mighty way in the lives of many and uh, we, we, we saw him do some really cool things. We're excited to share more with you. In fact, go ahead and mark this date on your calendars because on Sunday, July 30th, that's two weeks from today, on July 30th, that evening, we will have a service where we share all about what God has done this summer. There'll be time for testimonies and Worship as we gather together that evening, and so you're going to want to be a part of that. We'll hear about all the things, Bible school, uh, super summer, Canna Cut camp out, Falls Creek this week. We still have a group that have yet to go to camp with Cross Timbers Children's Camp. That'll happen this next week, this next weekend, in fact, and so... Uh, the exciting things happening and more to come, and then we will share on Sunday the 30th about all of that. So, you'll want to be a part of that to hear about what God has done and what He's doing. And thank you for those of you that prayed this week. Last Sunday, Brad had spread uh, armbands up here with the names of all the campers, and many of you took those and, and you wore that this week and you prayed for that individual as a reminder to pray for the group that was at camp. And, and we felt the prayers this week, and so thank you for that. And I uh, also just want to brag on our leaders, but especially Brad and his leadership. But like I said, it was a great week. God did good things this week, and uh, we're excited to share some of the particulars with you on July 30th that evening. Well, I don't know how many times in my life I've heard a message from the book of Ecclesiastes, but it's been relatively few. In fact, I'll go a step further and tell you, I don't, I don't have any specific memory of ever hearing a sermon from the book of Ecclesiastes. That doesn't mean I haven't, because, you know, if you've grown up in the church or you've been a part of the church, you know that sometimes it all does seem to sort of synthesize and, and, and blend together, run together in a sense. But I have, I have no specific memories of having ever heard a really good sermon from the book of Ecclesiastes. And you'll be able to walk away from today, and I'm not sure that you'll still be able to say you've heard a really good sermon from the book of Ecclesiastes. But you will at least be able to say, now, I've, I've heard from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. What is Ecclesiastes? What does that even mean? Well, the, the name, the title of the book actually gets its name from the Greek word, uh, the, the Greek word that has to do with the gathering or the, the, the people. So, in the Greek language, the, the word ecclesia is the word for the church. That's, in fact, in the New Testament, the word that's used in the Greek language where we would translate it to mean the church, that's the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesiastes or uh, ecclesiology is sort of that that theological, that doctrinal understanding of, of the church or the people of God. Now, what's interesting is that this book derives its name, in a sense, from the Septuagint, and the Septuagint was the Greek New Testament. I mean, excuse me, not New Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So in the time of Jesus, when, when Jesus was alive, when he lived on earth, and there were, was, of course, the Hebrew language that the Old Testament was written in, and there were the rabbis and the scholars, but the common language that many people read and wrote was Greek. Well, sometime later, there was the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures that was known as the Septuagint. And so, anyway, the book derives its name from that, but it's a part of the bigger, the bigger category of what we refer to as wisdom literature. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are a handful of books that we would say fit this genre or this, this category of wisdom literature. Generally, that's referred to as Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon and and the book of Lamentations. Those are lumped in together and referred to as wisdom literature. Why? Because they're written in a certain style, they're written in a certain with prose, they're written in such a way that it's pointing us to to know God's wisdom and live in light of his wisdom. In fact, we believe the author of the book of Ecclesiastes was Solomon, the same Solomon that gave us the book of Proverbs. But if you've read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you understand that it has a darker turn on it, a darker spin, if you will, a a, a darker uh, sort of take on things. Because at numerous times in the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer tells us that essentially everything is meaningless. Everything is per purposeless is the word. And so, the word that is translated in the ESV uh, is this idea. Well, just go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and look in verse 1, and and you see that it's the idea that it's vanity. And so, the word is translated often as vanity. Well, you may know of the song Right, you're so vain you probably think this song is right that's where we think of the word vanity when we think of vain when we think of someone who's vain we think of someone who's conceited to say that life is in in is vanity doesn't mean that it's full of conceit what it means is that there's there's this lack of understanding of what it's all about you ever feel like that you ever question to yourself what is life all about maybe you've asked the big question why am i here what is my purpose what is what is my purpose what is the meaning of life the book of ecclesiastes wrestles with those and the answer that ecclesiastes comes to repeatedly again and again is that life is life is all vanity it's 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 a vapor would be maybe perhaps another way it's the idea it's fleeting it's passing it's here and it's gone well that's true in a lot of senses but at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer summarizes all of that with this final punctuation. The, the only really positive thing that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes is essentially the instruction, the admonition at the very end of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, verse 13. And that's going to be our focus this morning. So read with me Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We're going to read verses 13 and 14 with this final punctuation and it's again it's not super positive but it's the writer trying to trying to say okay in light of all of this struggle and toil and strife and hardship that we face here's the key this is it the key from the writer of ecclesiastes ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 the end of the matter all has been heard fear god And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, even in the writer's attempt to be positive, it's kind of it's kind of a a dark take on things, isn't it? I've weighed it all, I've measured everything, the end of the matter, the end of everything, of all understanding, the final point that we reach is this that the real duty of man, the real purpose of our lives, is to fear God and keep his commandments. So, no great surprise then. That's what this morning's message is going to be about. In fact, you follow along on the backside of our worship guide and you keep track with our notes, you'll see these are the two main points of the message today. I'm not trying to be cutesy or create. i mean, I'm just taking, I'm taking literally word for word from what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Fear God, keep his commandments. But what does it mean to fear God? And how do we keep his commandments? That's what I want us to focus on today, because I think it's in understanding those and understanding that instruction that we can live with purpose. We can have a means to meaning in our lives that comes through this truth. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's an admittedly simple take on how we're to live in light of who God is, but it's what I think God wants us to understand from his word as we we seek to wrestle with this text today, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So first of all, we're to fear God. We're to fear God. What does that even mean? Because I suppose for many of us, when you think about fearing God, the first thing that comes to mind is the way that we think of fear conceptualized fear which is not a good thing so am i to am i to be afraid of god am i to am i to be scared of god is that what it means to fear god that's not that's not the author's intent in fact extensively throughout the the scriptures we see this instruction to live with the fear of the lord and in fact In the Old Testament, especially, the phrase, the fear of the Lord, or the fear of God, comes up again and again, numerous times in the book of Ecclesiastes, numerous times in the previous book of Proverbs, but really, in in reality, extensively throughout the, the Old Testament as a whole. And so, it's important that we understand what is the fear of God. I would just say it briefly, succinctly, I think we can understand the fear of God as a proper perspective Of God's power. The fear of God is a proper perspective of God's power. In other words, to have a fear of God means we have a healthy relationship with the almighty, unlimited, matchless power of God. We live in light of that power of who He is. We live in response to who God is. I think there's a a number of places in the Old Testament where you can substitute the word faith for fear the Lord, for the instruction to the fear of the Lord or to live with the fear of the Lord. Now that's, that, I don't mean to say that they're the same thing. If you're to study the words and, and, and really get into the grammar, the etymology, it's not the same thing. But in terms of our understanding, the idea of living with the fear of the Lord means that we're to live with faith. There's an understanding, an awareness, an appreciation of who God is. It's not, but it's not just an appreciation. That doesn't take it far enough. There's a, a proper perspective, a healthy relationship with God's almighty power so that I live under that power. I live submitted to or in response to that power. That's what the fear of the Lord is. In fact, uh, the, my very favorite verse in the Old Testament that points us to the fear of the Lord is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, which says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools this, uh, fools despise it, essentially. The, the, the fear of the Lord is what leads us down that path toward living in light of God's wisdom, and we're foolish if we ignore, if we, if we don't live in light of the fear of the Lord. And so we would be foolish not to live with the fear of the Lord. We, rather, we would be wise to, to live in light of who God is. If we, again, if, if you want to substitute the word faith or the concept of faith, Faith in God leads us down the path of who God wants us to be and what God wants us to do, right? That's the understanding. And that's what we'll see even this morning as we're to fear God. In fact, when we think about that proper perspective, when we think about the fear of God and how we're to live with the fear of God, I'm reminded of a quote by Oswald Chambers. You, have you ever heard of the, the book, My Utmost for His Highest. It's a devotional book that many people have used through the years. Many, maybe, perhaps you've read through that, or maybe you have a copy of it lying around the house. My Utmost for His Highest. The author of that is, well, it's attributed to Oswald Chambers. In fact, it was actually Oswald Chambers's wife who collected and wrote the book, but she did so using his his teachings, kind of a, a collection of his teachings and sayings and, and notes that she had taken from his sermons. Oswald Chambers was a pastor, and after he died, his, his widow gathered together her notes from things that he had said and, and compiled it in the book, My Utmost for His Highest, that many of us have read devotionally. And Oswald Chambers says this in that book. I think this is such a, a profound insight. He says, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Think about that. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you live with that proper perspective of God's power and you understand what God can do and who he is, then everything else in your life is shaped by that understanding. Whereas if you don't fear God, then you have to be worried and afraid of everything else in this world. I think that's a really profound way for us to think about the relationship we have with God's power as we live with this fear. Well, you can tell, again, by looking at your notes, there are some points that I want you to think about and and to meditate on these thoughts related to fearing God and what it means for us to live with the fear of God or to, to fear God. Fearing God, first of all, forms our faith. It forms our faith. When we have this proper perspective of God's power that forms the the foundation of our faith that we understand who God is first of all think of it this way that in order to come to salvation in Jesus I have to turn away from my sin I have to to arrive at the place where I recognize there's nothing I can do to save myself there's nothing that I can do to to earn or deserve Forgiveness and righteousness with God. It is only through accepting His free gift that is offered through faith in Jesus Christ that I can be saved from my sin. In other words, I have to get to the end of myself in order to surrender my life to Christ to come to faith. It's the beginning point of faith. It's the foundation of faith. And we can't do that unless you have a proper perspective of God's power. You will not trust Jesus for salvation unless you truly believe that he is mighty to save, that he is capable to remove the stain of your sins, to take your sins from you, that his death on the cross was effective to pay the price for your sin. And so having that understanding of God, having that fear of His power and His might, forms our faith. Because we recognize that I can do nothing to save myself, but when I turn to Jesus in faith, I can be forgiven of my sins. My past is is, is paid for. My sins are atoned. I am redeemed through faith in Jesus. And that comes through the power of His death, His burial, and ultimately his resurrection, that Jesus did what I could not do. And so fearing God, having that understanding of his power and his might, forms the foundation of our faith. It it forms our faith. But not only that, fearing God, it informs our identity. So as I come to him in faith, and as I live in response to the, the effective work of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, 2 Corinthians five twenty one tells me that, that's not my own, but it's the righteousness of Christ that's made available to me through faith in Him. Now I'm a new creation. I'm a new creature. I'm a new being. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm made new through faith in Jesus. I'm no longer who I was, which was a sinner destined on a path toward hell. Now I am saved. I am redeemed. I am set free through the saving work of Jesus. That informs my understanding of who I am. That I'm adopted as a A son a daughter of jesus i'm adopted as a an heir a co-heir with christ and as a child of god all the rights that that would belong to to jesus as the son of god now are are transferred to me and though i still wrestle in this present moment against my sin and my flesh i'm indwelled by his holy spirit And through the power of His Holy Spirit that abides in me, there is no power in this world that is greater than the same Spirit that lives inside of me so that He who is in me is greater than He who's in the world. And and now there's nothing in this world that can take that salvation from me. I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm set free from my sin. It informs my identity, living in light of the fear, the proper perspective of the power of God which sets me free from sin. Fearing God, not only does it form our faith and form our identity, fearing God conforms our character. So once I go down this path of trusting Jesus by faith, being renewed from the inside out, being made new as a child of God, now I grow in my faith. Now the Holy Spirit is working on me. He's refining me. He's developing me from the inside out. The word that we use for that is sanctification. Which is, again, derived from a, a Latin word, derived from a word pointing us to the holiness of God, that I'm living and I'm, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. I'm growing in holiness over time as I become more and more like Christ, as I become sanctified, my character is being conformed to the image of God. Again, I would point you back to Second Corinthians chapter five, which is a great passage, a great chapter that teaches on these truths, that we have the mind of Christ, it literally says, that we're to live with that mind, we're to live in response to who we are in Jesus. Romans chapter 12 encourages us not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that happens as we trust in Jesus, as we walk by faith with Him, as we live in light of what He has done, as our character is conformed over time. So fearing God will form our faith, it will inform our identity, it will conform our character, but then also fearing God transforms our tomorrow. It transforms our tomorrow. It gives us a new path, a new course, a new way to live, a new journey that we, that we go on. Jesus said to those who were listening to, to him, he said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus is saying to those who would listen, who would come to him to follow him, Jesus is saying, Come to me. In fact, literally, that's what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying to us, You can turn to me, you can come to me, you can follow my way. There's hope in the future. Because of Jesus. There's hope for tomorrow because of all that we face in Christ, because of all that He has done for us, and all that we know is in store for us in the future by the promises of His Word. And so our tomorrow is transformed. No longer are we trapped in sin and darkness. Now we live with hope in freedom from sin and freedom from bondage, alive in Christ Jesus, with hope for tomorrow. This shapes the way that we see our circumstances. It shapes the way that we see the events and the things that happen to us, the trials that we encounter. The same trials, by the way, that the writer of Ecclesiastes points to, the same hardships, the same difficulties that we endure. But now we face these in light of Jesus and what he accomplished for us on the cross. It shapes the way that we see our circumstances, it also shapes the way that we walk through suffering that I can face anything in this life, any hardship, any difficulty, any pain. And that doesn't mean that because I believe in Jesus that I will be spared from all difficulty, but it means that I will never walk through that alone because He is with me. He is guiding me. He is leading me every step of the way. And So it shapes the way we see our circumstances. It shapes the way that we respond to suffering. Fearing God forms our faith. Conforms or informs our identity, conforms our character, transforms our tomorrow. We need to live with the fear of the Lord, fearing God, not afraid of him, not scared of him, with a proper perspective of his power and a true understanding of his might. And that when we come to him in faith, he is mighty to save, he is able to do what he has promised. To take our sins to give us new life in Jesus. So that's the first part of the instruction here. The end of all the matter. Solomon, the wisest man who had ever lived, says, I've I've seen it all, I've heard it all, I, I, I have all this understanding. But all of life can be boiled down to this. Fear God. Fear God. And keep His commandments. Keep His commandments. Well, what are the commandments of God? If we're gonna keep his commandments, we first have to understand what are the commandments of God? There's, there's again, there's, there's no shortage of the scripture that points us to the power of God's commandments. His commandment is his word for us. In fact, if you really want to get a good understanding of the commandments of God and the power of the commandments of God, go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest single chapter And all of the Bible. And in Psalm 119, you will find the words commandments, instruction, precepts, laws. And all of these things are pointing to the same thing. It's the Word of God, the instruction of God that is given to us. Well, where do you and I find God's instruction? Where where do we go? Where can we turn to find His commandments. For many of us, we don't have to go any further than just our pocket, because you've got that phone in your pocket. You've got that device, and that device is connected to an internet, uh, and and you probably have apps on your phone, and and one of those may be a Bible app. We we have the ability, because of the advances in technology, to carry around with us in our pocket Essentially, every modern translation of the Scripture in any language, and in multiple translations in languages, and all sorts of Bible study resources and, and tools. In fact, I use a Bible study software that's called Logos Bible study software, and it's this really powerful. Uh, it's this really powerful uh, Bible study software, and there's an app. There's a, a mobile version of that, and I have this library with literally hundreds of resources in my, in my Logos library. If you've ever been in my office and you've seen all of my, shell, all my books that are on the, the bookshelves in my office, I probably have two, three times that in digital format, in in essentially a digital ebook version in this Logos Bible software, and that goes with me everywhere I go. I can get on my phone, I can instantly search for something in the Bible, I can see it in the original languages, I can find word studies, I can find commentaries, I can find all of these, I can access all of these resources, and that just goes with me everywhere we go, which is to say that we have all of this access, and yet sadly there's never been, I, I believe, a time in which people have been more biblically illiterate than they are today. Because despite all of our access, we live such busy, chaotic lives so much of the time that we don't spend time in the Word of God. But you understand that the Word of God contains for us the commandments of God. And so when we're instructed to keep the commandments of God effectively, the way that you ought to understand that instruction is to obey the word of God, to do what the word of God says. How are you to keep the commandments unless you know what those commandments are? Well, you won't. But I'll take it a step. Let's if we can back up even a step further than that. Let me say that you won't keep those commandments until you have first trusted the one who gave those commandments. And so as we think about what it means to keep His commandments, I want you to understand that to keep God's commandments, you must trust Him. First and foremost, if you're going to keep His commandments, you must trust Him. You must take Him at His word. You must believe in the word of God. You must believe that this word was given to you so that you can know God and you can walk in in the life in the way that He would have you to live. And so we, we have to trust Him. In Proverbs, we read, Proverbs chapter 3, we read the instruction to trust the Lord with all our hearts. This past week at camp, the camp pastor for the week, his name was H.B. Charles. And on Monday night at camp, he delivered an awesome message from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths We're to trust the Lord and live in light of his instruction for us. That's exactly what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying here. The very same thing he wrote in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he's written in a different sense here. Keep his commandments. Keep God's commandments. Live with a trust and then do what he has said. So to keep God's commandments, you must trust him. But not only that, to keep God's commandments, you must know them. You must know what those commandments are. If you're going to keep His commandments, then you have to know those commandments. You have to know what they are. In other words, you've got to study the Bible. You've got to spend time in the Word. You've got to know what the Scripture teaches in order that you might do what the Scripture teaches. And for many people, for being honest, that's, that's really intimidating. That's one of the reasons why we're focusing so much of our teaching, our ministry this year as a church on reading through the Scripture and teaching through the Scripture together is because I want to try to, to lean in to, to the Scripture. I, I want to l- press in with the understanding that for many people, studying the Bible can be very intimidating. But the truth of the matter is that it's, it's like so many other things. The, the more you do it, the easier it gets. The more you do it, the more skill you develop, the more comfortable you get with it. Think of, there are so many things, so many examples in your life of things that you've learned to do because it's just sort of a muscle memory thing. You've just done it enough. You've developed, you've developed skill. You've developed understanding. You've developed effectiveness over, over time because you apply yourself to something. Bible study is no different. You have to commit to reading the Scripture. You have to commit to studying the Word of God. But if you will, I promise the pieces will begin to fit together. And if you're reading through the Bible with us this year, I hope that's happening. In fact, I, if you're reading through the Bible with us this year, I'm convinced. I, I, I know for certain that that's happening. Because any time we commit ourselves to read the Word of God, to study His Word, He speaks to us. He, he moves our hearts. So to keep God's commandments, you must trust Him to keep our, but to keep God's commandments, you must know them. You must know His commandments. You must know His instruction, which, of course, is given to us in His Word. And finally, as we reflect on what it takes to keep His commandments, I would say that to keep His commandments, you must have discipline. You must have discipline. You must commit yourself to spiritual discipline. It is not easy. It is not easy to study the Word of God. In fact, because our enemy is real and he's active, I know that the thing that happens is no sooner do you make a commitment to walk with the Lord, no sooner do you make a commitment to study His Word and to live for Him, than immediately the enemy is going to go to work in your life. And it's going to feel like everything, like the wheels are coming off, like things are falling apart, or like, like things are just getting chaotic and crazy and messy in your life, because that's what the enemy does. He tries to derail your spiritual progress. He wants to do everything he can to keep you from experiencing all that God has for you and so he's going to try to do de- it's going to take discipline to stay the course it's going to take discipline to navigate those turbulent waters that will come but i promise you that if you will commit yourself to disciplines and principally first and foremost the discipline of studying the word of god of knowing his commandments and then living in light of those commandments you will see growth and you will be blessed and god will work in your heart in your life in a profound way. So to keep God's commandments, you must trust Him, you must know them, you must have discipline as you seek to live in light of that. But then also, notice the other phrase in verse 13. This is important too. For this is the whole duty of man. In other words, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, this is what it's all about. There's a lot of other things that he, he can teach. In fact, he's just written literally a book of scripture, right? With other things, other thoughts, other, other wisdom for us. But he summarizes it all in saying this. The end of the matter. A summary of it all is this. Fear God, keep his commandments. Because this is the whole duty. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The truth is that there will will come a day when every one of us will stand before Almighty God in judgment. And in that moment, either you will be counted as righteous because you have received by faith the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus, or you will be judged for your own unrighteousness. Those are the only two options. The Scripture makes it clear. In that moment of judgment, no one will dare stand before God and and claim the record of their own righteousness. Well, God, I did these things. I did more good than bad because your righteousness, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is going to go on to tell us as we start to read and, and dig into the book of Isaiah this week, your righteousness is, is like a filthy rag in the, in the eyes of God. It's, it's nothing. It's meaningless in light of the, the perfect divine standard that He has set for us. We must devote ourselves to Him. We must commit our ways to Him. We must fear God and keep His commandments in order that we would honor Him. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response A time of invitation. And in that time of invitation, we're going to invite you to submit your your life to Jesus today. Maybe you're here and you know that you've trusted in Christ by faith. But God is speaking to you today and he's saying, yes, you've committed your heart to me. You've trusted me for salvation. But now you need to walk in my ways. You need to live in light of that fear of me. Allow that fear of God to form your faith, to inform your identity, conform your character, transform your tomorrow as you seek to live in light of that, that proper perspective of the power of God. You need to keep His commandments. You need to walk in His ways. You need to trust Him, know His truth, and live in obedience to it as you seek to follow Him. And and if that's you and God's speaking to you, you know you've trusted Jesus, but God's calling you to, to commit to His word, then, then can I encourage you that you would... Be willing to say yes to the Lord during our time of invitation today. And maybe for you, that yes requires an active step. Maybe it requires that you would step out and you would come forward this morning and you would just say to us as staff, we'll be here at the front, just say this morning, I need to commit my ways. I need to renew that commitment to the Lord. I need to, I need to follow him by, by living in light of, of who he is and keeping his commandments. Maybe it's not a formal act that you feel God is stirring you toward, but nonetheless, you know that there's, some, there's some, some work to be done. There are some action steps to take in response to this today. Can I encourage you that even as we sing this song, that you would, in your heart, say, Lord, yes, I'm going to do what you're calling me to do. I fear you. I want to keep your commands. But maybe you're here today, and there's never been a moment when you have responded to the Lord in faith. There's never been that moment when you've taken that first step of obedience, entering into a relationship with him through trusting Jesus by faith, confessing him as Lord and Savior of your life. If that's the case, then even as we sing today, I pray that you would come and that you would surrender your life to Christ. So even when we stand and we start singing in a minute, if that's you, then I encourage you, step out on the aisle, make your way forward to one of our staff who are here, and just say, I'm ready to, I'm ready to surrender to Jesus today. I'm ready to commit my life to Christ. And if that's, if that's the case for you, then we would, we would love to walk you through a simple prayer of faith, just saying, Lord, I want to commit my heart and my life to you so that you would turn your life over to him. You would, you would literally, you would respond to his power, his saving power, by submitting your life to him and then committing to walk by faith from this point forward. And so as we prepare for that moment of response, I want to ask you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer. And after I pray, then we're going to stand and begin to sing. And as we sing, if God is stirring you to respond to him in obedience today, then I want to encourage you that you would take that step of faith while we sing. Let's pray together. Lord, we... Again, we we come before you hearts full of gratitude for what it is that you've done for us, Jesus, that you have made a way for us to be forgiven and set free. That you provided payment for our sin with your blood shed on the cross. And not only that, you rose victoriously from the grave, thus, thus sealing your promise, thus guaranteeing our hope and our salvation as we come to faith in you. And so, Lord, we turn to you now. Teach us to abide. Teach us to live in your presence and to live in light of who you are and what you've done as we seek to fear you and keep your commandments. Guide us along the path, Lord, as as we seek to live for you, for your kingdom. Move in our hearts now as we respond to your truth. All this we pray in Jesus' name.